Petersfield's Shine Radio. This is Talking Books, presented by Susie Wilde and Tim O'Kelly. Hello, I'm Susie Wilde. And I'm Tim O'Kelly of One Tree Books. Uh, with uh, some more exciting books to talk to about. Oh, Tim, I <laughs> have seen how busy you are at the moment. The shop's been heaving. It is. It's a very busy time of year, which, which we're very grateful for. Um, but it's when it's when it, uh, book selling really gets, you know, we, we, we earn our bucks in this time of year, and the rest of the year we work hard and we don't get, yeah. <laughs> get as many people as we'd like. Well, but this time you. of year we actually get people flying into the doors, and it, it's great. And when's late night shopping? It's a good, good question, Susie. I think it's next week's on. I ought to know, that. Ooh, I ought to know the answer to well, that. Well, while you're looking up, look I'm just up going phone. to say that Richard and I always love the tradition we have for years come in on your late night shopping. We come in together and buy each other books for our book flood in the Icelandic tradition on Christmas Eve because I absolutely love that. And it's great. I was talking to somebody today who, who, who does it and they say, well, well, I'm looking for the one book that I want to be, give to, to X, whatever X. it was, and we will spend Christmas Eve um, exchanging these books and then, and then quietly reading them. Well, I think it's good. We're actually going to have our roast goose as well. We've decided we're actually going to Goodness. do that on Christmas Eve as well. Wow. So it was a bit of a disaster last Christmas. It ended up, we put a rotisserie and we didn't realise a wing had come out and doing a sort of Hitler salute. And so it had stopped rotisserieing. So one side was completely black. So oh dear. we're going for a better thing. So that's why my, my um, vegetarian <laughs> Christmas will be, will be successful because I'm Excellent. sure it'll, it'll all work out nicely. You can't burn it. So what are you reading at the moment, Tim? Well, I've been reading an interesting book called The Exhibitionist by Charlotte Mendelssohn. Um, now, she did a book called Almost English a few years ago, which was, which was quite funny and quite poignant about, um, all sort of, basically about family. There's another return to a family, a different family this time, a family of a very dysfunctional family <laughs> where the, the, the father is a, is a kind of, uh, the exhibitionist of the title, is a kind of narcissistic uh, fellow who's an artist um, I was going to say, aren't they all? But no, that's not true at all. But uh, this particular one is. Um, and his wife is actually a rather better artist, but sadly has been in his shadow, in his shade, the whole, the whole, of, his, whole of his and her careers. Um, but anyway, it builds to a head around an exhibition that he's, that he's putting out. Well, I won't say any more, but it's... it's, it's, it's is a, it contemporary? Or? It's contemporary. Okay. Uh, it, well, it may, it may be... 10 years old or something but, but that yeah, that sort yeah, of time yeah. but it's it's uh the family is 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 wonderfully dysfunctional <laughs> that's all Great. right all, so, so that's one book i've been reading i've been reading a book called the year of the locust which is by terry hayes he did i am pilgrim and it's a very this one is a very long book like i am pilgrim oh. it's over 600 pages i think will it um, be as iconic no i think it's good i don't think it's uh but i think it is it's i think it's very good in parts and less good in other parts because it's a very long book and it it, it has its it has its ups and downs. It's kind of a both a book about you know usual terror bomb plot type story at the heart of it, but also has some secret tech which the Americans which they they produce which which is a bit of a game changer. And I won't tell you any more about that, but that's what that that comes in in the middle of the book and then it it gradually takes over the whole plot, mm. um, and then we get all sorts of maybe more fantastical things start to happen because of this new tech and because of, um, also partly because of pe- deep mining in space that, that is, stuff is brought back which releases things into the 
anyway, I won't say any more. But it, it is it's well worth the read, I have to say, because okay. um, he does a really exciting writer. It's and a good it, writer. You know, it, 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 there were parts where I was absolutely flying through, flying through the through the text. So um, so that's that's another book I was reading. I've started Impossible Creatures by Catherine Rundell. Um, book of the year. Yeah, it, it's this is a it's a uh, it's a fantasy um, for probably I think probably sort of called middle grade to up to young adult kind of. Uh, fancy novel um, and it features these impossible creatures uh, which are in a kind of other dimension um, and um, I've, only, I've only a couple of chapters in but I'm really enjoying it. Another book I've been reading by someone called Gary Stevenson um, which is My Life as a Trader and it's, a, it's an extraordinary book it's not coming out till next year and it's going to be a huge seller I'll tell you at this, at this stage um, because it is it's 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 an extraordinary sort of biographical book about about what it's like being a um, one of these in, incredibly successful traders at the same time being slightly aware of what you're doing. Anyway, that but that will come next year, and I'll I'll talk more about that. Yeah. next year. Fantastic. What, what have you been reading? Well, Susie? I I said last time that I was reading A World of Curiosities by Louise Penny, which wasn't strictly true. It I meant I had bought it. Um, but I have finished it now. And, I think it's oh. like she said a lot of people they've got piles of books by their bed. They say, "Oh, I'm reading this, 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 this." Actually, yes, they're not I, actually. I kind of I had actually made a start. Not underway, but, yeah. but you were underway. I okay. was. I was very slightly underway. I might have even edited it. I, I can't remember. But it you'd, is pushed, in... you'd pushed off from the pontoon. I, you were, I had, you were underway. I had, but I not reached the further shore. Um, it's Louise Penny, who I adore as a writer, is an Inspector Gamache. If anyone out there is a fan. It's the Three Pines series. I go to Three Pines as a sense of mental well-being, which is what the people do who are in the book. There is something magical and special about that. About and the, the place. About the place right. in our furthest Quebec. Um, and he is part of the Sûreté. Um, and you get to hear... That's almost like Inspector Clouseau. That's fantastic, oh, yeah. Sorry. Thank Sorry, you Karen. so much. My <laughs> hair's gone frizzy as well. Um, and there's not only an origin story of why Three Pines, which is interesting, um, but also background to how Gamache and Jean-Guy Beauvoir, who is his number two, I hope that was more Maigret, uh, <laughs> met. It Honestly, it's brilliant. If you don't know it, don't start there start earlier because it they're just wonderful and you will want to read them all and I love starting mm-hmm. a new series of something and then think oh wow I've so, got all this so what would you say that Louise Penny's kind of special a special power is if you like why she she has this effect on you that you can just get in get into read one of these Gamache books is like getting into a warm bath and she's a really good writer so you never feel like you're dumbing down but you're, okay, you're that's, that's a loaded question. What, what's, a, what's, a, what's a good writer? Well, somebody who completely holds your attention and doesn't treat you like an idiot. So she will make reference to something and expect that you've actually remembered it. Um, and, and we do, because we're so invested in the characters. The characterisation is excellent. It's not, like and, those, it's not like one of those reality TV programmes where every time there's a no. you, you break for the, for the ads, yeah. it comes back and says... 
This what is what we we've been talking you, about, yes. and this is now what we're going to talk about but next. Exactly, and it and she wears her erudition very lightly. Okay. So this one, A World of Curiosities, actually I loved because I didn't know there was such a painting, and it is truly in Norwich Castle Museum, um, and I've looked it all up, and even an Italo Calvino mm-hmm. novel because mm-hmm. of it. So it, honestly, honestly, everybody buy it um i'm also reading uh currently reading the haunting season ghostly tales for long winter nights which needs no other explanation i'm not saying it's brilliant but it is perfect for long winter nights well, pre-christmas a, a, a winter book i'm going to talk about a bit later as okay, well. so that's cool. that, that's fits um, in nicely my, is, it, is it ghosts uh, and stuff it's, yes it's, it is exactly right. proper haunting ghosts and stuff ghosts yeah. and stuff <laughs> okay. um the Give, uh, Giver of Stars by Jojo Moyes has got to be one of my favourite books that I've read this year. Oh, I right. mean, it Fantastic. honestly is just completely wonderful. And I passed it over to Richard, not knowing, it just for interest to see whether um, a chap would get as much out of it. And he has not put it down. He has absolutely adored it. So those of you who think Jojo Moyes just writes about contemporary female fiction... Yeah, I was going to interrupt. Like you, Tim. I was going to, was going to interrupt and say, <laughs> and say, I don't really hold with this books for, for yeah, 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 for gender, I yeah. because I, uh, I suppose I primarily read books by women, but but um, I just think I think a good writer is a good writer, and yeah. and, a, and a good book's a good book. It doesn't actually matter. But don't you find the covers tail you one way? It's like I don't like books for ages, like you've talked about imaginary creatures. I don't like it when you put a number on. This is for eight to ten year olds. You know, it's it's just rubbish. Yes, um, that's fine. Uh, it, it's I, I mean I, I think that the, the the publishing industry wants to push you down, push you down oh. certain avenues, and it wants to. Wants to say, well, this is a book for women. This is a book for men. This has got, like, this has got I don't know why. blood and, and 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 this has got uh, guns or whatever. And this is and this is this is all soft, soft focus. And actually, that you know, I, you know, I think that's a, a really false kind of um, division, really. But why wouldn't they want a bigger market? You know, have both sexes read. Just getting any market, darling. Any market, any market (laughs) would be fine. And the last one I'm going to mention, having said not to put ages on it, is Jodie by Hilary Mackay. And that very much is obviously for a younger audience. Sure. Um, But it's very well written. It's got yellow pages in big writing, so you kind of know it's lovely. And that also is a sort of a ghost story. But there's... um, there's a I won't spoil it but there's more about the um point of view protagonist than you know at the beginning as an adult you suspect it but a child would go oh I never saw that coming which right. would be lovely that's good me. sounds great so something like nice nice variety of reading you've been doing there I well I certainly have because the other thing I've been reading is about climate but I've only just started that, so I'll talk about that you, later. But you've just pushed off from the shore on I've that one. pushed off from the shore. So what have we got to look out for, Tim? Well, there's three books I've picked out um, that, are, that are out now. Um, that I think are appropriate for the season. So the first one I picked is Nature Tales for Winter Nights. So this is exactly what it says on oh. the cover. 
It is a collection of, of writing, sort of, which is seasonally appropriate, if you like. They're not, they're not particularly Christmassy, but they're about, about, um, about being cold <laughs> quite a lot of the time. Also about the turn of the year, the time of year. Um, she talks about, about uh, Janus, the, which I don't know, but the Roman god of, of kind of doors and gatherings and transitions. Um, obviously, that's Jan- from which January. where we get January. Mm-hmm. Um, she talks about, uh, in, in Western Greenland, the word for winter is the same as the word for year. It's oh, like, how it's lovely. The, um, it's ukyoch, apparently. Mm. I don't know if I pronounced that right. Any, any um, native speakers? So if I was horrible, can, I'd be having right. a go about your accent. <laughs> <laughs> and the Lakota year, apparently, the, goes from the first snowfall to the first snowfall. Oh. That's, the, that's their, the turn of the year. I suppose it's kind of like ours, really. Um, and also, did you know that in Iceland, in, in the sort of pre-Christian era... That goes back pre-12th century. They only had two seasons. The Norse calendar only had two seasons, winter and summer. Didn't really have of course, any, I do any know of these, that. <laughs> any, of these, any of these turns of the year, it was just like you're either, you're either flipping cold or you're, or you're very hot. There's, an, you're, there's nowhere in between. Or plenty um, and famine. Plenty and famine yeah. as well. And so it, it features kind of the old, some, some folk stories in here. Um, there's, there's a little bit, a little quote from Anne Frank. There's a little oh. bit of Janssen... Um, all sorts of, of different people. And it's have... quite a slim volume, I know. It yes, it's a not... hardback and looks a perfect It's present. really nice, actually. It's, it's, it's got nice end papers it and it's, um, you know, Beth Chateau, Robbie Lewis Stevenson. So all who's all, edited all it? Who's made the selection? So someone called Nancy Campbell, oh, who's, a, who's a writer herself, and oh. she's and she's brought these bits together anyway. That it's It's... It's a nice, nice little Looks volume. Lovely. That's one book I was going to mention. The other one is another one is Rick Stein's new book, which is called Simple Suppers. Um, oh, I saw that yeah. on the table. It looked and lovely. Look, it looks really nice, and it, and actually, then they're, they're fairly simple. They're not they're not incredibly simple, um, and they're not just one pot either. You know, it's a bit more than that. Although he has got a chapter on on one pot um, recipes, but um, I think he's a, he's a nice writer, and um, these are some really interesting recipes. So that's another one. And the last book I wanted to mention is very, very much not old, not new, actually, although this is its first uh, Christmas in, in paperback, and that is Claire Keegan's book, Small Things Like These. Uh. Now, I bring that because it is, it's, again, it's another kind of seasonal book. It's a, mm. it's, the snow is on the ground um, and, um, and Christmas is around the corner, although it's not about Christmas and it's not, it's not really just about, about winter, um, but it very much... Uh, it's very much in that season, and I think it's a, it's a really beautiful book about, not only is it beautifully written and beautifully presented, but it's, it's about, um, ultimately, the, the triumph of, of uh, I think it's the triumph of good over evil, or hope over, over despair anyway. Mm. Um, and I do think it's a, it's a really wonderful book. And I I'd would, say I would if you can get it in a hardback because yeah. it's definitely a keeper. It's a, it's a, it's a really lovely book. Mm. So those are my three three choices uh, that I thought would be a good good for this time of year. Lovely. Well well chosen Tim, I'd say. Tim, I'm really excited that we're going to be welcoming Michelle McGorian to be interviewed. Yes, great news. I mean, she's she's been a a, a very loyal friend of the shop for for, for many years, and um, of course, she's an extremely accomplished uh, writer. I didn't um, know she was local. Yes, um, 
so she's she's I suppose how many books she's written a lot of books uh, but listeners will know from Goodnight Mr Tom I'm sure that's perhaps her, her best known book one that's been translated into so many different languages and has been a, have been a has been a uh, produced on television and John Thor John Thor and also on the stage as well so it's it's a um, she's someone of great a great accomplishment wonderful well, I'm so thrilled to have Michelle McGorian sitting right opposite me. You've been one of my heroes forever. And I'm really surprised because in Petersfield, I've been going around saying, oh, I'm going to interview Michelle McGorian this week. And they go, oh, yeah, yeah, we see her with her son quite often. I had no idea that you lived in Petersfield. But more to the point, I didn't know you were a Portsmouth girl, as am I. And possibly a very similar vintage. And, Michelle, I've got to just first of all say that Tim told me to read Just Henry. He said I would adore that. I had to get it from AB Books, just saying, if any publisher is listening, it needs to be reprinted immediately. Thank you. And I love it. So let me just start off by saying, where were you born? What school did you go to? How do you know the King's Theatre Southsea? And all the cinemas, because I love film as well. Right. Well, first of all, I, I was born in Portsmouth, yes. And But at the time I was three months old, I was on a ship bound for Singapore because my father was in the Navy. Oh. So I spent two and a half years of my, my first years in Singapore, where I was mostly looked after by a man called Lee Kim, <laughs> and uh, then got back to England. And then my father disappeared because he was sent away, and he said never again. When he came back, he was sent to Australia. He said this time you're coming with with me. And so I spoke, came back speaking with an Australian accent. Yeah, I was going to say, I can't hear it. And um, went to school in Waterlooville. I have to say, I was about nine and a half then, I have to say that the other children wouldn't mix with me because I spoke with this accent. <gasps> um, the culture was different, the system was different, and I was unhappy and homesick for Australia. But my mother, um, uh, there was a, 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 an elocution teacher at the school, she had group elocution lessons, so she signed me up to do um, the um, elocution, because actually all the, the other thing too was I got very sort of anti-English because <laughs> because, um, in, because I wasn't allowed to go to Saturday morning cinemas anymore for some reason oh. by my mother, and but also I used to mind the songs because I thought the English songs were a bit drippy you know, it was, you know, you know Terry, Terry, right whereas, whereas in in Australia, it was, you know, once a jolly swagman can buy the billabong, you know, under the shade of the... And it was all that, you know, much more... Anyway, so... But uh, the elocution teacher turned out to be a drama teacher. Uh. And I was a tomboy who loved acting. And suddenly I was playing Pip in Great Expectations. Wow. And we had these wonderful progressive nuns... Um, is there such a thing? <laughs> oh yeah, they were absolutely brilliant. And yeah. um, basic, and it was funny because I was on stage one time, and I, I come off stage, and I heard, overheard uh, the mother van Heems, the head, saying to my parents, "Of course you should go on the stage." And my parents were going, uh, you know, Mrs. Horr- Robinson, horrified, yeah. absolutely horrified. But what they did is they, they, it was like they nurtured what, who we were. So my, one of my best friends was an amazing piano player, so they had a piano, piano every opportunity. My other friend was brilliant at maths, so they worked out when she was doing A-levels. She couldn't do physics there because they didn't have a physics teacher. So they arranged that somewhere else in, I can't remember, Horndean or somewhere, because she could do... Anyway, and they just all 
you know, and they... That's brilliant. They were, oh, they were just magic. And they even had me doing stand-up comedy at the end of assembly. <laughs> so how do you know Portsmouth? The sort of 1950, I, I would come in at the 1960s, but it's so recognisable. How do you know that so intimately? Well, we had, we, the, the cinemas, obviously, were still around. The King's Theatre was still around. Uh, by the time I got to my teens, I started saving like mad to go to sm- smuggle into the, um, the, the gods. The gods. And um, I don't know if you heard the story, I... The listeners earlier. do, do say. Uh, well, uh, once I also used to sneak in and hide when each new company came in every week to put their set up. And the man that ran it discovered me and he said, You naughty girl, come to my room immediately. And when I got there, he handed me a whole load of flyers to go out. and. You know, but you see, so I had the King's Theatre, I had all those cinemas. And I, again, I used to take my little brother to, take, to, see, to see the films. So there was all that. Um, That's why you write about boys so well, I think, as oh, well. The other thing, too, is, which was amazing, because my father came from a very poor background. Although I was an extremely early reader, I got a reading prize at five, but we had no books because they were. He wouldn't buy. Wait, or. Well, no, he wouldn't buy anything that was new because he was frightened of being poor again. Okay, so yes, my I get early, that. So my yeah. early stories were from Saturday morning pictures in Australia. And the radio, they used to have all these incredible radio programmes. And it wasn't until I was, I did, I, I was on the ship coming back from Australia that a library... Uh, what happened is I ran away from... I climbed over the gate, ran away, because I was the oldest one there. I was nine and a half. And I was returned, and she just went to this cupboard, glass cupboard, which was filled with books. She opened the door and handed me an Enid Blyton adventure story. I read it overnight, came back the next day and said, you know... I'd like another one, please. <laughs> and by the time we got to South Sea, the house where we lived, which was in Victoria Road North... I was going to ask, were you north or south? Yes. Yep. And it was literally minutes away from walk from Elm Grove Library. Yes. And I went in there, and I couldn't find an Enid Blyton book I hadn't read. And there was a young man there, a librarian, and he said, he said, are you having problems? And I said, well, I, I've read that, and I've read it. And he said, have you ever read any Arthur Ransom? Mm. And he handed me one, and that got me hooked. Interesting. And I that, never liked Arthur Rance. Well, that led me to um, to escape routes because of camping. Now, the yeah, other yeah, thing yeah. I brought up a subject is that my father was a wonderful man. If we were ill in the night, it was he that looked after us, not oh. my mother, who was a nurse, funny enough. But I didn't realise until many years later, after six years of horror, many people of my generation were brought up by a parent or parents that had what was later described as post-traumatic stress disorder. So my father was two completely different people. And so... um, That's fascinating. So suddenly he would just, out of the blue, would get these incredible rages and go completely berserk. Right. And the reason I started bringing this this, uh, subject up with people of my generation is because I still think that many people of my generation think that they did something wrong. Okay. To make their parents, and I want to let them know it had nothing to do with you. Oh, that's really fascinating. It was a thing. Yes, but they were they were lovely. They did lovely things for you. But they, as I say, they were 
that, that war period. Did I think we've lost sight of the sacrifice that that generation made, yes. actually. Um, tomorrow I'm going to the funeral of my cousin, yeah. who's very much brought up in that sort of the bomb sites of Portsmouth and so on. Oh, and yes. you just realise it's, you know, it's in walking, touching walking distance. Walking areas where there was just rubble. Yes, uh, so, round the corner, one of my first jobs was as a, as a schoolgirl, yeah. was doing the filing for Dr. Una Mulvaney. And her practice was in sort of a road off, it's Bailey Road or something off Victoria Road North. And she was famed, there's so many photographs of her in the Portsmouth Evening News, of her tending victims in the rubble of the air raids on well, Portsmouth. Well, we have Dr. Mulvaney. Well, there you are. But he was a man. Oh, well, that might have been her dad. Um, and, I mean, she wasn't... Yeah. Or, or it was something, anyway, she yeah, was yeah. famed. For, there, were, there, were, there was definitely an older Mulvaney yeah. that I didn't know. Um, but there was also Dr Clark and Dr Howard were in the same Well, my practice. mother was a nurse in London during the Blitz. Wow. She joined the QS. She was at, um, when they brought the troops over from Dunkirk, she was on duty for 48 hours. Can you imagine it? Yeah, yeah. But in, um, as I say, she met my uh, my father on a... A troop ship going out to India, and they got married in India. Um, but she was uh, she was also used to do very naughty things to to make people laugh. Um, but she was not just nursing soldiers; she was nursing the people that were released from the Japanese prison of war camp. Wow! Yeah. Oh, she saw stuff. Well, it it's clear to me why one of the things that I'm going to say about your writing is how we. The reader really cares about every character. Mm. There are so-called minor characters in every book, but you so want their lives to come out well as well. I think that came from my acting side, because okay. whatever part you played, you had to... You didn't just walk on stage, you walked from somewhere. And you also... you. You know, I used to. What, what's my relationship to that yeah. person? That person. How do that make me? And even react? villains have an inner life. Yes. So that that, you know, helped yeah. me. And also yeah. wanted to know. I mean, sometimes having to do research. And once I was in Leeds doing a play, and um, that, that was quite fun actually. It was a comedy. And um, the director said out of the blue, "Oh, by the way, you know, um, I would like you to do this with a Leeds accent." Well. They all chat to one another in Leeds. All I had to do was travel around on the top of a bus, and they were all talking like this, you know, to one another. Like so, I just said, you know, pick it up like that. And but they were, as I say, um, it was just trying to see their point of view. Um, Absolutely. I, I, well, I was writing from the. I was in Australia. I started writing at eight as well. Okay. Stories, and by the time I got to eleven years old, I thought my perfect life would be to spend half the year acting and half the year writing. Oh. And then in my teens, I thought, and I want children. Oh, wow. So those are my three goals. Really. Wonderful, and you succeeded in every one. Well, I had to wait until my 40s before I succeeded in having children. OK, well, good. Good on you. Um, I've got to also say that what rings through is a sense of social injustice and um, how we judge people absolutely from the exterior, these ridiculous and now, thank God, outdated yeah. social mores. yeah. yeah. Um, which I can't abide, like illegitimacy and so on. Um, and I, in a way, it's heartening because you think, I know the world's going hell in a handcart, etc., yeah, etc. Et yeah. But actually, we have advanced a long way. Yeah. Certainly, people of our generation, I think, and how to disagree agreeably, mm. um, how to be polite, 
And the other thing too is because I've just been I've been working on another book which is set in 2029, and the, the notion there I thought it, but it's even later than that that married women did not work. No. I mean, and I just suddenly remembered I was walking on the way here, thinking about my parents. Now my mother, she was a captain in the in the QAs, and my father was a lieutenant, and so she was a higher rank than him. But um, a few years ago, I had to need to try to find their marriage certificate. And anyway, I found it, and it was sent to me, and I was absolutely stunned, because on the marriage certificate, there was a section there saying occupation, and next to it, it had my father, lieutenant, Royal Navy, and next to my mother, under occupation, blank. Because she was married now, so she had no so occupation. So she had no occupation. Even though she was a captain. Oh, it's just unbelievable. People. That was 1945. And even God. I can remember, I think in the 50s and 60s, Teachers, uh, female teachers, had to remain unmarried. Well, not knowing that if they, if yes, that's right, that's right. Ours were all. And so if they spinster. married, if they married, they had to stop working. Yes, it's extraordinary. Isn't it, it is just bizarre. And I was raised by a single mother, so ah. I suppose that accords with me. And she, you know, well, she absolutely did everything. It's yeah, it really. I think it's so easy to forget. Yeah, that sort yeah. of prejudice and, and so on that was at that time. So tell me more. So I was going to say about that should be reprinted. It's wonderful. I love all of them, but that's a trilogy, I'm told, I think. Um, and I can't wait to get... I love when I start a new well, series. Well, I'm a bit naughty, you see, because yeah. I'm very nosy. Okay. So sometimes something comes up and I've written it, and I, but I thought, hang on a minute, I want to know about oh, that. Yeah. I want to know more about that. So... Um, when I wrote, I wrote a book called um, um, uh, Back Home. And the reason I put that aside for a while was because um, uh, it was... I'd, when I was researching Goodnight, Mr Tom, I came across a photograph of sea evacuees returning from America after they'd been there for five years, away from their parents, and they looked totally American. Their clothes, their yes. ways. And I thought, how on earth did they cope? Because I'd had problems readjusting after only two and a half years away. I thought, no, no, that's too difficult. Put it aside, wrote another book called A Little Love Song. Photograph wouldn't go away. Yeah. So then I started fine talk. I thought I could have... Because I thought it was too difficult because I, I had to know where they were coming from so they could see war-torn uh, England through their eyes. I had to know mm. like that. And then I started finding people to interview. And at one time, I know this sounds bonkers, but I even found myself in Connecticut... Good grief. One thing led to another. Isn't and it fascinating? I and then, then I was in three Fado farces, and the director took me aside during one tea break, and he said, I've read back home, but he said it wasn't just evacuees from other countries adjusting, it was also people in this country. And he told me his story, and that led me to write a story about a boy wanting to be an actor from a working-class background, which was like a no-no. Absolutely. And, then, and a boy. And, yeah, and then an incident in that... Want to meet? I want to know more. Why is that gang getting at her sister, his sister? And I wrote um, um, a spoonful of jam. And then there was a baby born in that. Thought no more about it because the next thing, the cinema came, woke me up at three o'clock in the morning, and I thought I've got to go there. And that led me to write Just Henry, and a baby's born in that one. And in a book called Impossible, uh, oh, could, uh, the other thing too, you probably know this, but after the war, of course, people couples have been separated so in 1946 there was a baby boom ah yes but then beginning of, of 1948 
uh, sorry, beg your pardon, beginning of um, the, the following year, um, sorry, where are we? Uh, 1945 and 46, there was the worst winter since the 1880s, and snow was, uh, coal was buried under snow. Oh. And people couldn't get coal, and electricity was rationed. So the one way of keeping warm was to snuggle up in bed. <laughs> and nine months later, there was surprise, another population surprise. So that's why so many babies were born in Hence the baby boomers. Yes, yeah, yeah, the baby boomers, yeah. That's fascinating. I was born the year rationing ended. So that's my claim to fame. Right. But that's, honestly, that's fan- fascinating. What? So I've got a baby born in, in got... there, and I've written of 1959, she meets the boy... Say no more. Say no more, I'm on it, I'm on it, don't spoil it for me. Um, so tell me more about the one that you're writing at the moment. How, is it first draft to you? Oh no, it's search? actually, well funny enough, this afternoon, by coincidence, I, what I did is, because people tell, keep saying to me, oh, teenagers don't read historical fiction. Oh, that's rubbish. I know, and I know someone who was mad about science fiction when he was very, very young. And, um, uh, and then, of course, moved house, they moved house. And all the schools were full, and history, obviously, one of the subjects. And this person thought, hang on a minute, if this boy, science fiction, the world of science fiction, is as crazy to a young person as what it must be like to live... And also, when I was doing history, I thought, I'm not interested in kings, queens and lords. I want to know about ordinary people. Absolutely. And um, so that led me to... So, anyway, I've been going around the houses here. So, anyway, that's why a lot of my books have gone out of print. But I've written this book set in 1929, as I told you, and I thought, well, hang on a minute. I very cheekily asked the head of history at the local school if she would consider reading the draft. Anyway, she came back and said, I really like this. Do you mind if my students read it as well? And I'm meeting them this afternoon for a chat. Brilliant. Is that at TPS? Yes. Wonderful. So just to get some... That's That's so good for them. But also, I wanted to also, a bit naughty... I want to write an element of farce in it as well. Yeah, no. Because I thought, where are we going to get our next writers yes. of farce? So that was a bit naughty. No, but I think that's brilliant. Michelle, we've and got I've, to... I've got an adult book as well, but that's... Oh. that's, that's, um, that's well, uh... you see, I don't believe in all this age thing. Oh, I know, I know. You know, if it's a good book... Anybody can read and it. That's about a group of women in 1945 in Kent. Wonderful. Yeah. I'm thrilled to bits to meet you. It's been a lovely chat. and Well, it's lovely to meet someone from Portsmouth. <laughs> and we'll see you, each other again, yes. I hope. Yep. Thank you. I overheard some of the Shine Radio presenters talking to each other at the drinks party about what they were going to ask Father Christmas to bring them. So I've decided not to do my reading for an extract from a book, but let you overhear what they're asking for. Hello, I'm Abby Phillips, and the book that I would like for Christmas is called Daisy Jones and the Six. It's apparently loosely based on Fleetwood Mac and Stevie Nicks, and I absolutely love them as a band. And, uh, yeah, I've been recommended it by a friend, so I would quite like that for Christmas, please. So, it's a new book uh, by Dom Jolly called The Conspiracy Tourist. And why is that interesting to you? 
So he goes around the world doing tourism, exploring different conspiracy theories around the world, from the more well-known to the lesser-known weird and wacky conspiracies that are out there. It's a very funny book. I enjoy comedy and just hearing about the different conspiracies from different perspectives I find interesting. Jack Finch is here. Well, I thought I would have two very polarising pieces I'd ask uh, Father Christmas for this year. I thought I'd maybe ask for Karl Marx's Das Kapital, and then to contrast that, Adam Smith, The Wealth of Nations. Have you not read either of those? I've, like, dipped into them. I've read passages of both, but I've never fully done either. So I thought it was about time in this, this climate that I actually equip myself with uh, adequate knowledge on the political structures and economic structures of our world. And how important is it for you, when you determine your view of the world, to read other people's writings? Uh, crucial. I don't want to be someone who exists solely in an echo chamber. I want to be um, uh, balanced and empathetic to both sides of the argument. And um, I suppose just be as intelligent as possible, basically, very simply. Not be an idiot when you're discussing very important, meaningful things. And there's lots of um, very contemporary political memoirs out there now. Do they not appeal as well? Yeah, possibly. We're talking about Cameron's recent release a couple of years ago. Theresa May's got one out as well. Yeah. I don't know. Somehow I think Cameron's would maybe be more like spicy somehow. I don't know why. He's back in government now. Yeah, it's true, actually. Lord Cameron, our uh, foreign secretary. I think, you know, talking to the old boys is always good. You know, the old dinosaurs, the old relics, the giants, the people who laid the foundations of uh, the way we think and perceive and the way we approach these things. I think it's really important and uh, I've, I've delayed it. So um, thanks for listening today and thank you, Susie. Thank you, Tim. Um, uh, and as usual, you can get all of our back numbers, all our back catalogue, um, where you usually get your podcast from. And there are actually now, this is number 40, so there's, there's quite a bit there. It's exciting. And one of them um, is a Christmas number where we interviewed Giles Brandreth, thinking about Christmas sweaters and so on. Will <laughs> you be wearing a Christmas sweater, Tim? I'm... I can't guarantee it, Susie. I can't guarantee it. I definitely won't be, but I will be cuddling a puppy. How lovely. I don't think I actually own any Christmas jerseys, sadly. So uh, I will be... uh, Well, there's a gift idea. (laughs) Thanks, Tim. Radio is the home of doorstep carols in Petersfield. I'm Geoff Lacey. And I'm Claire Venice. We'll be bringing you Petersfield's favourite Christmas carols from our doorstep to yours. We all know the words, we all know the tunes. But if you don't know them, we've got the handy pullout on the website, shineradio.uk. favourite things this time of year, Joff, is singing carols. The first two words just get you in the mood, don't they? Ding dong! Doorstep carols. Sing along with the radio Wednesday night at six. (laughs) 